0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Can you believe that it is still Easter? Easter made sense back in April, it feels like. The trees were just starting to bud, and the azaleas were blooming, and there was new life just springing up everywhere you looked. And Jesus was alive, and it felt fresh and new. But now, now it is hot. It is humid. The mosquitoes are out. It's not quite the dog days of a D.C. summer yet, but those early days of spring seem like an awfully long time ago. But it is still Easter, for one more week, until Pentecost next Sunday. For one more week, we are still in the season of celebrating the resurrection, as long ago and far away as that might seem. But I think it's actually fitting that we're still in the season of celebrating Christ's resurrection, even though the newness of that celebration has worn off. Because that's what life is like as a follower of Jesus. Life as a Christian is about living in relationship with the risen Christ through all of our days. The great and joyful ones, certainly. The sad and dark and difficult ones. But mostly through the plain, old, ordinary, nothing too special to see here days. The days that feel maybe a little bit like this one. The Christian life is about being Easter people, even when it doesn't really feel like Easter. And that's why we've been looking at the book of Acts throughout this season of Easter. We've been reading these stories of some of the earliest Christians, and we've been learning from them what it means for us to be Easter people. To be people who believe in and follow the risen Christ. And specifically, we've been talking about what it means that we are faithful witnesses of the risen Christ. Not just on Resurrection Sunday, but every day. So we read about Peter and the other apostles who preached a message of repentance and forgiveness even to the religious leaders who had just had them jailed. And we talked about a faithful witness being one that invites people into God's mercy. We read about Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus and the role that Ananias played in Saul's conversion. And we talked about the fact that faithful Christian witness happens in community. We read about Paul preaching to the Jews and to the Gentiles in Antioch, and we talked about a faithful witness being one that helps people find their place in God's story. And we read about the opposition and division that Paul and Barnabas encountered when they preached at Iconium, and we talked about faithful witness being one that proclaims and practices grace even in the face of opposition. Today, we read about Paul and Silas continuing their ministry in Philippi, where they cast a demon out of a slave girl, they get put in prison, they are miraculously freed from prison, and they see their Roman jailer become a follower of Jesus. It is a busy passage that we read today. But there is one theme, I think, that sounds strongly through the whole thing, and that's the theme of freedom. What this passage shows us is that being a faithful witness of the risen Christ means living in God's freedom ourselves and then inviting others to live in that freedom also. So let's take the story bit by bit. It's sort of three main parts, and it begins with the story of this slave girl. We don't know much about her. We don't know her name, how she came to be enslaved, or how she came to be Possessed by this spirit of divination, as it's called. We don't know exactly what that means, but she somehow was able to tell the future. And so basically her owners would have people pay them for her to tell their future. So she was getting them quite rich. She was somehow aware of the spiritual realm or the spirit that possessed her was In Greek, it's described as, it's called the Python spirit. And there's a connection there to the Greek mythology, the story of the god Apollo, who killed a python of the oracle at Delphi. And in doing that, Apollo received the spirit of divination that the, the oracle had had. And Apollo was one of the favorite deities of Emperor Augustus, who was the one who established the Roman colony at Philippi. So somehow, in this spirit of divination, there is not only a spirit that is not from God, but it is a spirit that is connected to the empire, to the pagan gods. It's interesting, though, because what this girl is doing is she's actually, in this case, speaking the truth. She follows Paul and his buddies around and says, "...these men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation." It's not untrue what she says. But you may remember in Jesus' ministry, there were a number of times when he encountered demons, and the demons knew who he was. So even the spirits who are not of God know the truth about who God is. But she follows them around, and she proclaims this over and over, and finally Paul has enough. And he just gets annoyed. (laughs) Maybe he's annoyed just because it's incessant. Maybe he's annoyed because it's associated with these pagan spirits, and so he doesn't want his testimony about the salvation of God in Christ to be mixed up with any of this paganism. We don't know, but Paul was annoyed, and so he turned around to this girl, and he casts this spirit out of her in the name of Jesus, and she is freed. That very hour, Luke tells us. She is freed from this demonic spirit that had controlled her. And even as Paul was acting out of his annoyance, God brought the girl freedom. There was a problem with that, though, which was that this girl was the livelihood of her owners. Paul casts the spirit out. No spirit equals no fortune-telling equals no money. So her owners are very upset, and they drag Paul and Silas before the city authorities. These are Roman authorities. And the complaint that they make is actually not the complaint of what they did, because it wouldn't exactly look too great for them to go to the authorities and say, we were relying on this slave girl, and now she can't tell the future, and so punish them so we can get our money back. What they do, actually, is they play on anti-Semitism, and they play on the fear of outsiders. So they haul Paul and Silas up in front of the city rulers, and they say, These men are Jews, not like us. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice that's not actually true, or at least it wasn't what they were really upset at Paul and Silas for. But this was the charge that they brought against them. And the city leaders bought right into it. And so they have Paul and Silas stripped and beaten, and they put them in prison. Not just in prison, but in the inner prison, in the center of the prison, and they put their feet in stocks. These guys aren't going anywhere. So what do Paul and Silas do? They've been falsely accused, they've been beaten, they've been imprisoned, and what they do is they spend the night praying and singing hymns to God. They're not crying out in lament, although they could have done that and it would have been fine, but they are praying and singing in worship And what they are doing is so compelling that all the other prisoners are listening to them. And so it's midnight, and they're praying, and they're singing, and suddenly there is an earthquake. And this earthquake opens the doors of the prison, but not only does it open the doors of the prison, it opens the shackles on the prisoners' hands and feet, all of them. Paul and Silas and every prisoner in that prison are given freedom. This is not the first time Paul has been imprisoned. It won't be the last time. The freedom that God is giving to Paul and Silas here isn't the promise of an easy life. But this miraculous release from prison is a sign of the kind of freedom of spirit ...that they have in God. So Paul and Silas are freed from their prison... ...along with all the other prisoners. And then the jailer comes. Again, Roman jailer. And he wakes up with this earthquake... ...realizes that the doors of the prison are open... ...assumes that the prisoners will have run away... ...because that is what you would normally do... ...if the doors of your prison are open... And so he begins, he's getting ready to kill himself, to throw himself on his sword because of the dishonor he will face and the punishment he will face if he is found to have let these prisoners go. And so he's about to kill himself and Paul cries out, he says, don't, we're all still here. Which, I mean, what must this jailer have thought? The jailer is certainly relieved But he's still scared. I mean, clearly, God is at work somehow. Some sort of mighty majestic thing is going on that this earthquake would happen and these prisoners would be freed. So he doesn't know what is going on, but he is scared and he says, what must I do to be saved? We hear that question with a lot of deep theological overtones. He may have meant that, but he may have just meant How do I get out of this? Because something big is happening here. And Paul says to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then Luke says that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So Paul doesn't just say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, and he says, I believe in the Lord Jesus and I'm saved, and it's done like that. Paul and Silas take the time to explain the gospel to them, to tell them the story of salvation in Jesus. And so the jailer believes he is baptized, everyone in his household is baptized, And he takes Paul and Silas, these prisoners. He cares for their wounds, tends to their wounds. He feeds them. He offers them hospitality in his home. What we see is that the jailer, too, is freed. He is freed from his fear. He is freed from this... Oppressive Roman regime that he was a part of that was going to threaten him with death for letting these prisoners go. He was free from his fear as of dishonor. Here he had been so worried about not fulfilling his duty and letting these prisoners escape that he was about to kill himself. And now it seems like he cares so little about his job as a Roman jailer that he's just taken all the prisoners home with him. He has been freed from fear and freed into salvation. Paul and Silas' faithful witness of the, of the risen Christ are what invite the jailer to experience freedom. And that, I think, is what's really remarkable about this passage, more even than the miraculous earthquake that Paul and Silas were the ones, they were imprisoned, they were unjustly imprisoned, and yet they go to their their imprisoner and preach the gospel and invite him into freedom. Paul and Silas could have responded very differently. A, they could have just run out of prison when the doors opened. Or when the jailer comes to them and says, what must I do to be saved? They might have said, sorry, you lost your chance and gone on their way. Mm -hmm. Frankly, it's probably what I would have done in their situation. But Paul and Silas themselves had been freed, not just from their physical prison, but they had been freed in Jesus Think of Paul and that story of his salvation on the road to Damascus. Think about who he was. This Pharisee who was so intent on keeping the letter of the law, of having people earn their righteousness, that he would persecute followers of Jesus because he thought they were teaching heresy. Paul had been freed from all of that, and he had been freed from his sin. And it was out of that freedom that he could invite the jailer to experience freedom as well and that is the freedom that we can experience the freedom of God's mercy the freedom of God's love the freedom from the need that we feel the compulsion to try to earn our own salvation to create our own righteousness, to be good enough for God to love us, we can be freed from all of that, freed into the mercy and grace and love of God. And when we experience that freedom, it's that freedom in us that allows us to invite others into God's freedom as well, people we might otherwise not want much to do with. The faithful witness of Silas and Paul has brought freedom to the slave girl from her spirit. It's brought freedom to them in their prison as they worshipped and sang. It's brought freedom to the jailer and his household. Being a faithful witness of the risen Christ means experiencing God's freedom and inviting others into that freedom as well. I have to say, though, there's something that really bothers me about this passage, and that's the slave girl. We don't get the end of her story. We don't know what happened to her. At the time the story drops her off, she's still enslaved. She's just no longer possessed by the spirit. So we don't know how it all turned out. Maybe it turned out well. Last week, uh, we read about Lydia and her conversion and the church that she helped establish, so I kind of like to think that maybe Lydia, who was wealthy, came and bought this girl's freedom and that she was free to worship as part of that church. Maybe it all turned out well, but we don't know. And it bothers me, I have to say, that Paul didn't sort of finish the job, right? He freed her from the spirit, but he didn't free her from slavery. And it bothers me a little bit that it's not Paul's outrage at the injustice of slavery that leads him to free her from this spirit. It's just that he's annoyed. (laughs) In other words, this story isn't all that We that I might want it to be. Paul maybe isn't all that we might want him to be. But I think there's actually great hope in that for us. Because we are all works in progress. Even Paul. Paul doesn't get it right all the time. Neither do we. And that is no surprise to God. We can trust That God continued to work for freedom in that girl's life, even though we don't know the end of the story, he certainly does. We can trust that God continued to work freedom in her life, and we can trust that God will continue to bring freedom in our lives and to work through us to bring freedom to others, even when we don't get it all right all the time. One of the most profound stories I have heard or experiences I have had of someone experiencing the freedom of salvation in Christ and then offering that freedom to others came from the summer I spent in Northern Ireland when I was in seminary. It was 2005. The peace process was pretty well established at that point, but there's still this legacy of violence and of trauma and of hurt in that country. And at the time, uh, the, the BBC radio had been doing this thing for a year where every day BBC Northern Ireland would air like just a couple minutes of somebody talking about how the Troubles, which is what they called their Civil War, how the Troubles had impacted them. And at this museum there in Belfast, um, they had these recordings on, on a loop, so you could just go and put on headphones and listen for as long as you wanted to. So I would go over there sometimes, and I I sat there one day, and I put on the headphones, and I was listening. And there was a woman talking about her experience of the Troubles. And she had lost someone very dear to her, a man. We don't know if it was a husband, a son, a brother. But someone had been killed that she loved. Someone had been killed in a bombing. And she said, as she was talking about the pain of losing this person, she said, But I forgive the one who killed him, because the same Jesus who died for me died for him. So how could I not forgive him? I listened to so many of those stories, and in so many people's voices there was, understandably, anger and bitterness and resentment, and in her voice there was none of that. There was peace. Because she had experienced the freedom of God's salvation. The freedom that comes from being forgiven of our sins by Christ on the cross. She knew freedom. And she could offer that freedom in forgiveness to others. Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Galatia. He said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom we have been set free. So may we who are witnesses of the risen Christ, may we live in that freedom, and may we invite others to live in God's freedom as well. Amen. Amen.